The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome again, everyone, especially people who tiptoed into the Zoom room during the meditation. Warm welcome to you. And I'm just going to offer a few reflections today on um, one dimension of how we are nature, minds are nature, our experience. And it's a little bit of a talk on the elements or the elemental qualities that we have, that we share with the earth. But it's also a teaching on how noticing these qualities can help to usher in wisdom through a number of dimensions. One is by just noticing the shifts in our perception of what we're experiencing changes and the relationship between awareness and whatever that experience is. Another dimension is the internal, the certain qualities that we have and noticing the similarities and contrasts with the external qualities, earth, air, fire, water, space, or the five classic ones. And these qualities, I refer to them as qualities most often instead of elements. Because, of course, modern science has discovered there are all these subdivisions within those much, much smaller than each. But the experiential qualities remain. The Buddha taught his young son, Rahula, to practice meditation in this way, noticing the visceral body, drawing inspiration from nature, and allowing a sense of these natural elemental qualities to infuse practice. And he says on a number of occasions, the Buddha does in the ancient teachings, that this is a process of practice that increases wisdom. Okay. So there are two suttas I'm drawing on today for those of you who are like sutta wonks, discourse wonks. That's on Majjhima Nikaya 62, middle length discourses 62, and middle length discourses 140. And I'm not going to overdo it with the quotes, but I just want to name the sources for you. So in um, 140, the Buddha asks, how does one not neglect wisdom? How does one not neglect wisdom? And then he goes on to say, by contemplating the earth, the elemental qualities of the earth, inwardly and outwardly. And then reflecting that this is not me, this is not mine, and this is not myself. And he goes on to say that for water, for air, and um, for fire. So I'll just unpack those very briefly. Water is kind of self-explanatory. We have the blood flowing through our veins, our tears, our saliva. We are mostly water. And earth is the elements that come from the earth, the substances that come from the earth, 
and which is basically everything except for the water and the space and the air, right? All those little nutrients and what builds our bones and sinews and nails and hair, all of it from the earth. It also, though, experientially in terms of an elemental quality is the feeling of solidity, weight, or lightness. And then air, breath, also motion, vibrancy, aliveness, vibration. And then fire as the warmth generated by being alive itself, the energy, the energy that we rely on directly and indirectly from the sun. It also is the noticing of non-warmth, cool, within and without. And then space. There's a a great moment in the discourses where the Buddha talks about just like noticing the space in your outer ear. There's space there, right? Very simple. The space in any other body cavities, right? Nostrils, for example, or mouth. That's straightforward and then there's the feeling of spaciousness inwardly and outwardly and physicists tell us that we are actually mostly empty space if all of our elements contracted where there were no space we would be very very tiny and very heavy right pinpoints that weighed a whole lot so All of this to say that at most, we are only borrowing the stuff of our bodies for a while. They come from the earth, the planet. They return to the earth, the planet. In a sense, they belong to the earth, the environment. And in that most elemental, visceral sense, we belong to the earth. We're expressions of life, of earth living. Practicing in nature can help develop this understanding and an absence of that kind of self-focused way of being, not me, not mine, not myself. There's a beautiful awakening expression from Zen. This is by Li Bai from Zazen on Chinting Mountain. The birds have vanished down the sky. Now the last cloud drains away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. To return to the Buddha's instructions millennia before to his son, Rahula. He encourages his son to develop meditation like the earth. Solidity, mountain-like strength. Let me pull that up. And I'm not going to repeat each of them because they're quite repetitive of being an oral culture, but this will give you a taste. Rahula, develop meditation that is like the earth. 
For when you develop meditation like the earth, arisen, agreeable, and disagreeable sense contacts will not invade your mind and remain. Just as people throw clean things and dirty things on the earth, and the earth is not repelled, humiliated, and disgusted because of that, so too, son, develop meditation like the earth. For when you develop it, arisen, agreeable, and disagreeable things, contacts, will not invade you and remain. So it's to take an inspiration from this kind of vast equanimity that's available and like that solidity, that mountain-like strength, the walking on the earth, right? Feeling of the weight of the feet on the earth. Internally, as I mentioned before, noticing the solidity, weight, heaviness, or lightness. Maybe just check it out for a minute now. Like tune into that part of your experience. Heaviness, lightness. The relationship of this body rooted to the planet with gravity. Noticing, noticing the quality of awareness, experience that shifts, tuning in to solidity and weight, stability. Thich Nhat Hanh writes, when we look into our own bodily formation, we see the earth inside us. Moving on to air, breath, or any other kind of motion, air in the body, the wind or stillness around us. Breathing, witnessing, all of the changes, motion. Motion is life. And acknowledging changes in the winds, atmospheric rivers and storms externally, too. Perhaps opening to compassion for those impacted in a negative way. And mudita, for those who have gained. Noticing the air flowing throughout your body, the breathing, motion of breathing, perhaps even the transpiration in the cells. Subtle energetic shifts. In that same instruction to his son, the Buddha encourages him to develop meditation like air. For air does not hold on to anything thrown at it. Right? 
Can we access that quality? Allowing movement. And then the next instruction he offers to his son is to develop meditation like fire. Warmth or cool. Visceral. Noticing that in your body. And noticing to the external qualities. The warmth of the sun itself. Or the absence of the warmth of the sun if it's nightfall for you. We exist in relationship, all of us. Every living creature, every living being, every living plant in relationship to the heat of the sun. Permeates ourselves. Be the warmth of being in direct sunlight on a crisp day, warming up every part of the body. The coolness of evening, the coziness of being bundled up inside with a fire on a cold day. And then the internal furnace of our own aliveness. The heat in our own core. Noticing, too, the impact of focusing on this, on the experience of learning. In Buddha's instructions to Rahula talk about cultivating meditation like fire, like fire. And like the earlier quote, it talks about how agreeable and disagreeable things, experiences, will not invade us and remain in cultivating meditation this way. I also think of it as Anything, anything can be fuel for awakening. Disagreeable, agreeable, fuel for awakening. Fire can burn, fire of awakening. So what does it mean to bring that quality into your practice? Does that mean for the awareness? Fire of determination. The Buddha's life is a study in determination. A long arc of becoming awakened and then the many decades of wandering around India offering teachings well into his 80s. This was in the Bronze Age. That's fire. That's internal fire too. And then there's meditation like water. 
This is one of my favorites. I am fairly early in my practice, took the audacious step of doing a pilgrimage around Asia. And it ended up, it's like I think in 2007 or something, um, I ended up at the end of it in a little Buddhist monastery, a Thai Wat, they call them temple, on an island in the Bay of Thailand. And it was a really remarkable place. Very, not very well known, very austere, very austere situation. But the little kutis that they had us meditate on in or in front of looked out over the Bay of Thailand from one side of the ridge and over the ocean from the other. And the teacher who had founded the monastery had spent many years in a cave in that same cliff. And then eventually came out, started teaching and kind of founded this place. And one of the inspirations that he drew from the ocean was that the practice should flow like the ocean. Each body posture should be like a wave in the ocean. That seems. And also, the only teacher I'm aware of in Vipassana that has done this, developed a practice of open-eyed ocean gazing out towards the horizon. And the practice would encourage a soft gaze and eventually the horizon of the ocean and the horizon of the air would meet. And that blending, that collapsing between the two could also result in a collapsing of the self into everything. It's quite beautiful, really beautiful. Even just imagining the ocean right now within, notice if there's a shift in the mind and the body. Let your meditation be like water, oceanic, vast. What's that like? And then there's the water within I talked about before. The blood that flows through our veins has the same salinity as the ocean itself. Don't think that's a coincidence. Right? We're kind of like miniature oceans walking around. Like, all the, like There's a lot of other stuff going on there too. But we carry our own ocean within us. Harking back to evolution many, many, many centuries ago, millennia ago, as our species and its ancestor species evolved out of the ocean. When the Buddha talks to his son about meditating like water, meditating like water, fluid, responsive, awareness, meditation can shift. Many, many different forms, just like water shifts with the container or the state. Water, ice, steam, dew drops. Oceans, rivers, lakes, puddles, vast clouds, all of it. A much later teaching, um, can't remember which Tibetan Buddhist teacher I heard this from, probably Sopi Rinpoche or Mingyur Rinpoche, talks about how as the mindfulness matures, as awareness begins to wake up, 
that thoughts can be like drawing on water. Like drawing on water, like there's just a moment, an impression, a flip, a mental phenomenon before it fades right back in. And then there's the injunction the Buddha says to ascend to develop meditation-like space. And he, in the early tradition, they really do talk about this in that practical way I talked about before, like the space in the ears and the nostrils and the mouth, the cavities of the body. Very simple. Or the space inside a house or a room. And maybe you can check it out for yourself, looking around your space right now. Notice that there's any difference in perception and the way your awareness meets experience. If you notice the space in the room, or even the space out the window, versus the objects. Since I do this, my whole body relaxes a little bit somehow. My eyes definitely relax. There's also the space within, not just the body itself, but between thoughts. Noticing, you know, some like like distraction and meditation, right? Sometimes it's really cool just to notice when it stops. There's a little gap usually between that and the next preoccupation, whatever it is. Pick yours, I've got mine. They arise. There's often space between that and that very famous quote, and I've seen it attributed to so many people that I'm not going to attribute it at all. The space between what happens, what arises, and our reactivity to it. Within that space lies freedom. What arises? There's a little pulse of space. That, friends, is choice. At that same time monastery that I mentioned earlier, there's this beautiful quote. So a lot of the quotes were in Thai, and I was one of two people who spoke any English whatsoever. So my exposure was minimal. But um, someone gave me this little booklet the teacher had written that a kind soul had translated into English. And one of favorite sayings of this teacher who was lying in state dead when I got there, by the way, so I didn't get any interaction with him, was we are meditators under the vast sky. We are, we are living under the vast sky, the vast ocean, vast sky. And there was such humility in the way he said it. Oh, yeah. We're just little people. There's this Vastness around us. Developing meditation like space can take all of this into account. Space is not established anywhere, it just is. And in that way, it's a lot like consciousness itself. Consciousness itself can feel quite vast, can be quite vast. Carl Sagan, I think I've used this quote before in this group. 
He very famously said, the cosmos is within us. We are made of star stuff and the space around it. We are a way for the universe to know itself. We're a way for the universe to know itself. That very elegantly speaks to the shift between space and awareness, consciousness. Noticing space can be an entry point to noticing awareness. You might notice this for yourself, that it's maybe easier to access a sense of the quality of attention, the quality of awareness itself the gestalt of everything that contributes to being aware and checking out the space around or within or between things. It invites a shift in perception, kind of like an artist might see a vase in the background. There's a figure-ground relationship. And it's often easier to paint or draw something accurately if you draw the ground around it. The same thing is true of our minds, our hearts, about awareness. It can be shown in relief. And often it offers that space between what arises and any potential reactivity. So you just say, thinking of awareness itself. How is awareness in this moment? Are you aware? It's obvious about it. How do you know you're aware? This is not a discursive question and answer. It's feeling into it. Allowing experience to answer non-verbally. How does coming to a present moment awareness, mindfulness, shift experience? Maybe it brightens the visual field, sensory, hearing. Just notice there's no wrong answer to this question. It's this moment. Occasionally in the ancient teachings of the Buddha, he refers to consciousness as the sixth element, which to me points to the interpretation of elements more as qualities of experience. Qualities of experience. It was that important that it could be qualified in that way. So in this little kind of experiential wandering exploration, it's all to say that awareness Wisdom, each input something different into the system. 
And that the Buddha really encouraged us to notice these different qualities of experience and this inseparability of the stuff we're made of and the stuff around us as ways of developing this. It's helpful in the process of this kind of exploration to just trust the process wherever you're at. Noticing shifts of awareness, you shift between noticing the different qualities or elements, noticing reactivity or lack of it, hopefully with kindness, and to see that this points to the malleability of awareness itself, of consciousness itself. It points to how we co-create our experience with everything, our very relationship to experience, to reality, this moment, the next moment, the next moment. And how all the experiences we've had before have a momentum. This begins to move more and more in the direction of wisdom, of freedom, when there's a kind, allowing attitude to what's happening and a discernment between kindness and judgment, stinginess or contraction and generosity, reactivity and equanimity, delusion and wisdom, just noticing these distinctions without getting down on ourselves. All of this shifts the interrelationship between internal and external nature and between ourselves, our minds, and the way we experience things. It can help sort of turn the cruise ship, if you will, very big ship, and start to open up more to the possibility of awakening. Ajahn Chah, the very renowned Thai forest teacher, says that the future is the child of the present moment. You take care of the mother, She'll take care of her children. Take care of the mother and she'll take care of her kids. So the Buddha taught to take care of the present moment through the simple recognition of our bodies, the qualities of our minds, the qualities of experience as I've been describing them through the elemental practice, elements practice. And crucially, noticing and appreciating the shifts of attitude and awareness itself. Noticing those with interest and patience. And over time, that cultivates greater and greater sati, mindfulness, awareness. Greater and greater wisdom, Panya. Love, compassion, equanimity, even awakening result from these kinds of shifts. So that's what I have to say today. Thank you for your kind attention. And I'm going to pause the recording. We'll do about 15 minutes of Q&A if people have questions or comments, and then we'll do a dedication of merit at the end.
May the practice that we have done here together be a cause and condition for greater wisdom, equanimity, love, compassion, and even awakening in our hearts and minds, in our lives, in the lives we touch, in the lives they touch, and so forth, rippling outwards and outwards. May all beings be happy, may all beings be safe, and may all beings know the highest joy of freedom. Thank you so much for your practice.